Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. If I asked you to raise your hand if you were familiar with the story of David and Goliath, I would be willing to bet that most every hand would go up in the air. But if I asked you to raise your hand if you know what happened between that famous Bible story and the time David assumed the throne in Israel, my bet, my guess, less hands. What happened was that David, king to be in Israel, learned a lesson in the fourth commandment, the many ways that God guards leaders. But it wasn't an easy lesson. The lesson that David learned was taught to us through God's word this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 24. But before we get there, please let me set the stage just a little bit on what takes place beginning with chapter 2017. There's some bad and some good. The bad news is at the beginning of chapter 17, none of the leaders in Israel are doing anything about a really big problem that they have. The Goliath, the giant Goliath is out there and all the leaders in the army are shaking in their boots. That's bad. But the good news is that the battle is the Lord's and God, through a little shepherd boy, gives victory and protection over all of Israel. That's chapter 17. Chapter 18 begins, and it's bad also. The bad part this time is that the leader in Israel, King Saul, is very jealous and very angry with David. He's angry because he became an overnight celebrity for defeating Goliath. But the good news is that the Lord was with David in whatever he did, and he gave him success, specifically lots of military success, and he guarded and he protected Israel through that. Also, at the end of chapter 18, more bad. David is being asked to marry Saul's daughter. And you say, what's so bad about being the son-in-law to the king in Israel? Well, you see, Saul said, David, in order to be my son-in-law, you have to go and kill a hundred Philistines. And Saul knew that that was a fool's errand, that David would die doing that. The good news though, God was with David again. He protected him. He did in fact kill a hundred Philistines and he married Saul's daughter, Michael. They fell deeply and madly in love. That's good news. Then in chapter 19, it gets bad again. Saul sends people to Michael and David's home to kill David. The good news is David escapes. The bad news is he loses his wife, but he is comforted by his counselor, Samuel. Chapter 20, more bad. The vicious attacks from Saul on David's life increase. They're more often. David is on his run, but in this darkest valley... A really good, no, in fact, the best friendship is formed this time between Saul's son, Jonathan, and David. 
But then chapter 21, chapter 22, and chapter 23 are more of the same, more of the bad, as Saul is not a good leader to David. In fact, he tries to kill David, and he gets crazy in his attempts. He kills some leaders, some spiritual leaders in Israel, many, many of the high priests, because they helped out David. David's forced to flee to the Philistines. Yes, the people he once defeated and act crazy just so he can hide out there. Then David is forced to run and hide in caves. But the good news, his friends and family come to him. But this is where we are at the beginning of chapter 24. David is at his lowest. He lost his job. He lost his home. He lost his counselor. He lost his wife. He lost his best friend. And here is the Lord's anointed, the king to be, hiding out in a cave. And then this happens. 1 Samuel chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. This is God's word so far. Saul came to hunt down David, not just with a small band of soldiers, but with 3,000 men on a search and destroy mission. That's not funny. But this is. Out in the desert of En Gedi, nature calls. And, and Saul is, is forced to, well, take care of business. And out of all the caves that he possibly could have, he picks the one that David and his men are hiding in. David's fighting men, they are a mix of assassins ready to kill and giddy little sixth grade boys snickering at the king of Israel and what's going on right in front of them. They say, David, this is it. You could all end it right here. This is what the Lord has talked about. The Lord has handed you this gift. Go, do it, get him, take care of it. And with one swipe of the sword, David can David can end all the running, all the sleepless nights. He can have his home back, his wife back, not to mention the throne that God promised him. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave And went on his way. Could you do what David did? 
We know David was a man after God's own heart. But I mean, come on, David, when you have a man who wants to completely destroy you and you have the opportunity to destroy him, could you, would you do what David did? By any stretch of the imagination, by all logical arguments. Saul was not acting in an honorable way. But David honored Saul. Would you have done the same? The fourth commandment says, honor your father and mother. But as David shows us here, and scripture shows us and will show us throughout This commandment has so much more to do than our relationships with our mommy and our daddy. King David explained this in verse 6 when he explains why he did not kill Saul. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. He said to his men, yes, I know that he has wanted to harm me. I know that he has taken my job. He is not giving me the throne. He has taken back my wife. He's tried to kill me at every turn. I understand this. But that does not trump the fact that this is the Lord's. The Lord's anointed, and it is not my place to take revenge, says David. It's all our place to honor him. you've done the same? Have you done the same? The fourth commandment is not about our parents and whether or not they are honorable. The fourth commandment is not about our bosses and whether or not they are respectable. The fourth commandment is not about those in positions of governmental authority and whether or not they are honorable. What the fourth commandment is about is our hearts, your heart and your attitude towards leaders. The fourth commandment, what it does is it exposes three truths that are really about us and our relationship with God. If you're taking notes in your worship guide, here's the first truth of three that we're going to look at today that the fourth commandment exposes. The fourth commandment exposes our inclination to honor ourselves. I don't think there's a person alive, if they're being honest, who would say they have kept the fourth commandment perfectly all of the time. In fact, we might even admit it out loud that I struggle with the fourth commandment. But we struggle, we say, because, you know what, they're just not honorable. Because, you know what, they're just not really respectable people. That's why we think we struggle with the fourth commandment. But the real reason you struggle with the fourth commandment has nothing to do with them. The reason we don't give honor is because we would much rather take honor. To honor somebody means not only that you put them ahead of yourself. We like to think of ourselves being, you know, really humble servants, putting people ahead of ourselves all the time. 
But to put someone in a position of honor means you don't only put them ahead of yourself, you put them above you. You willingly submit to them. The fourth commandment says, honor your father and mother. And we're going to look at this, that it says to honor those others who are in authority as well and do it all of the time without exception and without any regard to whether or not they are honorable and respectable people. Honor isn't really a word that we use each and every day, and while honor is a virtue that we maybe think about even less, so allow me to share you this. Martin Luther, commenting on this command, said this really extreme statement about honor. He said that it is a much greater thing to honor than to love. Honor includes not only love, but also deference or submission, humility, and modesty directed towards a majesty hidden within them. It requires us not only to address them affectionately and reverently, but above all, to show that we respect them very highly and that next to God, we give them the very highest place. Yeah, but this guy, nope. Yeah, but she says, it doesn't matter. To honor someone means that you give them honor, you give them respect all of the time without exception, without any regard to whether or not they are honorable. It's important to ask maybe why we do that. David said it's because it's the Lord's anointed. Martin Luther said because there's a majesty hidden within them. I don't know, maybe it surprised you when I said that this command, the fourth commandment, has more to do than just with our mommies and daddies. But Scripture says this much. We'll take a look at it in just a moment, but Scripture shows us that God has really set up three estates or three institutions of authority. He himself did this. He ordained it. And that's why that we obey them. God set up the family. God set up the church And it's God who set up government. And there's a lot of different things that we could say about each of those institutions and those estates. But what I want you to walk away with this morning is just two things. First, it's God who established these things. And two, he did it for your good. And that's why we say there's a majesty hidden within them because the majesty is God and God who in all his majesty is always honorable is the one directing all things for your good through your family, the church, and the government. This is the second truth that the fourth commandment exposes and that's that God's majesty is revealed through all leaders. Think about it this way. God's majesty, his greatness, his glory, his awesomeness, it is way too much for us to ever behold. If we ever did see it, we would die because we couldn't stand in the presence of it. But we have a hidden God. We have a hidden God who as paradoxical as it seems, loves to reveal himself. And he loves to reveal himself through leaders through leaders that God has established and through leaders that God has established for your good. And therefore, the God who is always good and promises you good things is worthy of that much more majesty, honor, and praise. 
Let's look at each of these just briefly. The family is something that God set up in the Garden of Eden and that God reinforced as his way of providing good for children and families ever since. He said this in Ephesians chapter six, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. We're asking the question, why do we honor our parents? It has nothing to do with the fact that they're perfect parents. It has nothing to do with the fact that, well, we have to. It has everything to do with the fact that Christ is in them. Christ established the idea of parents and families, and more importantly, that God serves us through them. And get this, God also set in place another institution which cares for the first, which cares for families. It's the church. Through marriage and through strengthening individual Christians through the word of God, God cares also for you. Acts 20 says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. Here, Paul's talking to pastors. And he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church, which he, church of God, which he bought with his own blood. What do we know? First, we know that God himself set up the church. He redeemed the church. He bought it with his own blood. Second, God has placed overseers or church leaders in our lives to care for us. Why do we listen and honor group leaders, church councils, pastors, and teachers? Not because they're perfect or really cool and awesome people. Not because we're head over heels with every decision that they ever make. No, we do it because God set them there. And this is what God says, that we are to remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider their outcome and their way of life and imitate their faith. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they who keep watch over you as those who must give an account. It's one of my favorite ways to describe my job in its simplest forms. My job is to be an overseer of your soul, to see that your soul makes it from here, point A to point B, to an eternal life in heaven. God has established that, churches and people who love you and your souls for your good. And perhaps the one that we don't think most often of being from God is the third, is government. But government is set in place to protect the first, to give safety to churches, to give freedom to churches, to practice their religion, and to protect families in it. This is Romans chapter 13. God says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. In the case of government, it is the fact that elected women and men have the job to look over a group of citizens of various sizes and do it for their good. That's their duty. Our duty 
It's to honor them. So let me ask you this. Have you honored those people, families, church leaders, government officials? Have you honored those people the way David honored Saul? It is almost an absurd idea to really think about the fact that God is actually backing leaders in all of those positions. It actually might offend our modern sensitivities that we must give reverence and obedience and honor to people in all of those areas because our modern mind thinks so much about sticking it to the man when they're not right. Our, our mind thinks so easily about the fact that we have independence. We can do what we want. And yet, what does God say in return to these leaders? that we're supposed to give them reverence, we're supposed to give them love, we're supposed to support them, not judge them, not speak poorly of them, no matter how wrong they might be, no matter how less of honor they might be, the only time where we don't obey them is when what they're doing and what they're saying is forcing us to contradict what God's holy word has to say. But in every instance that we are supposed to honor them leaders, not because of their worthiness, but because of their position in relation to us. I've heard it said that our men and women who serve in the military are told that they're supposed to salute the rank, not the man. They're supposed to salute not the man, but the rank. This last week, I thought about that, and it seemed to be a really great summarization of what God is saying in the fourth commandment. And so I asked one of my friends who serves in the Marines if, if that's what they were taught, if that's what they followed. Their response was noteworthy. They said, well, yes, but. And it seems to be a good summarization of how we often think of the fourth commandment. Yes, they're in authority, but not if they're not worthy. But the fourth commandment isn't about your parents' worthiness. It's not about the government's respectability. It's about your heart towards God reflecting to them. I read a story about a family friend who observed a father and his teenage daughter. To say that this teenage vulgarian would stir up a little bit of strife would be putting it mildly. This teenage overlord had the ability to completely disrupt the home life, bring her parents to tears by looking only to her needs and not caring one iota about the needs of anyone else in her family. She had the ability through choice words to call out her parents, even berate her parents. And yet the father, he continued loving her, he continued protecting her, supporting her through all of it. Even as he had a chronic illness himself, he would do whatever he could to help her, to serve her, to support her, to make her feel loved, to make her feel welcomed, to give her and provide for her a warm home. He would take it all on. He would take on the anger, the attitude, the offense, even though it wasn't 
deserved. And then came those words. Words that were spoken almost every single night. Dad, would you braid my hair? Because for whatever reason, this 14-year-old girl, she hadn't learned to braid her own hair. And so this mangled mass of curly hair would come straight forward to her dad every single night. And thankfully for her, this dad had figured out how to do it and do it well. And so tired as he was after a long day of work and tired as he was for so many other things, this father sat on the edge of the couch, asked his daughter to sit below him, and he took sections in, of hair in his hands and started to braid it. He served his daughter. He loved his daughter. And then she got up, looked in the mirror, checked out the work, and barely mumbled a word of thanks. But that's not why the father did it. Father did it because he loved her, he served her, and for almost an hour there was peace in the home, there was quietness in the home, as the father did just that, served his daughter, loved his daughter. There was grace. And the dad would never call it that. The dad would never think in those theological terms that this was an act of grace, but make no mistake about it, that's what it was. And that's what it is for you and I. There is grace, whether you know it or not. There is grace and forgiveness for you, whether you have offended the fourth commandment as a parent or a leader who has been less than honorable. There is grace for you if you have been a rebellious follower and the best way to describe you is a brat. There is grace for you whether you have been someone who sits in a cave of your own bitterness and jealousy and you are just plotting the next time that you can take down the person who is ahead of you in life. There's grace for you. There's grace for you whether or not you have sought to keep honor for yourselves or you just haven't ever thought of the fact that God hides his majesty, his glory, and his honor behind the leaders that he has placed in your life. There is grace for you. And get this, there's honor. There's honor as well. God gives honor to you because while you and I would rather keep honor for ourselves than give it up to anybody else, he has a son. God the Father has a son whom he sent to keep this and all the commandments perfectly for you. And Jesus didn't only give honor to his father, but he also, well, he gave up his honor. He gave up his honor so that you who like to keep your own can have something far greater, can have the honor of that. And get this, in the most amazing place, in the most hiddenness of all places, there on the cross, Jesus revealed all his glory and majesty to you because there the one who was the fourth commandment keeper became the fourth commandment breaker. And he who did not spare his own son gave him up, gave him up for us all so that by his death, you and I might be called the honored children of God. And that is what you are. It's interesting what David said to Saul after he cut off a corner of his robe. They had a conversation, and I want you, one of you to notice what David and Saul call one another. 
1 Samuel 24, verse 8. David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, See, my father, look. Look at this piece of robe in my hand. I cut it off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there's nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. I'm not sure that Saul understood what he was saying. I'm not sure that Saul understood what his words meant. But the Lord used Saul, this monsterless, honorless king, to bless David because David kept the fourth. Saul's words to David May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Those are a symmetrical promise to a promise that God made to David before this, a promise to David that he would give him the throne in Israel. And more than that, he would establish an even greater throne because David's son would come, the promised Messiah who would set up an even greater kingdom than what David could and rule our hearts and our lives through the joyous good news of the gospel. Yet yet Saul made a promise to David, a promise that God had already made to him and a promise that God kept. Saul made another promise or a wish or a blessing. He said, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord reward you. And the Lord did reward David for his treatment of Saul, but he rewarded us all. He rewarded us all because what we see in the fourth commandment is this, that it exposes God's promises for us. God is so serious about the fourth commandment that this is the only commandment that he attaches a promise to. He attaches a promise that you will live long in the land that the Lord is giving you on this earth. And the Lord has made good on that promise when he sent his son from the father's side to this earth and watched as men braided together a crown of thorns and set it on his hand, he knew it was to give you a lasting promise, a lasting land, a new heaven and a new earth. That's the ultimate reality where this is seen. It is seen in eternity. And that's what the fourth commandment exposes, that a God who is serious about us honoring those in authority is also serious about giving us many good things through him. And that's what made me think about this group of people right here. Picture there, if you can see it, is some people I really love and respect. On the left is my grandmother, who's in heaven, her daughter, 
my mother, me and my son. On the right is my grandfather, his father, or his son, my father, me and my son. I couldn't help preparing for this sermon, thinking about families and the fourth commandment to think about this group, this four generation group of people who I really love. But let me tell you something about this group right here. They've broken the first commandment, all of them, (laughs) and the second, and the third, and the fourth, up and down the line. As I was thinking about this group and and why it is that, that all of those pictured there are Christians, followers of Christ, and even those not pictured there, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, all my grandparents, also in all of those relationships are followers of Christ. Why, why is that? And there's no answer to that except this, that our God who promises his grace that our God who promises that all of his promises are a yes in Christ works even through the promise, the promise given in the fourth commandment, the promise that he will give you life, a long life in the land that you're living, ultimately in a new heaven and a new earth. Parents, we say it all the time. You say you would, you would do anything for your kids. You would give anything for them, Right? Would you really? Imagine for a moment what you could give your kids through teaching them the fourth commandment. It's nothing short of everything. In the fourth commandment, there our God gives us families, homes that are happy, healthy, full of peace and joy. In the fourth commandment, our God gives us churches where we have a community of people who care for our souls, love us, support us, point us back to God's word where we experience not only peace and forgiveness for all of our sins, but get pointed over and over again to the eternal life that Christ Jesus has won for us. There in the fourth commandment, our God gives us a good government where we see citizens and public servants work together hand in hand to support and create vibrant communities. And oh yeah, Here in the fourth commandment, our God gives us nothing less than himself, his son who completely honored the father and gave us eternal life in him. May God grant that all those promises and gifts are ours, and they are, in Jesus' sake. Amen. 